Welcome everybody back to Velo Sound Video Interview Sunday, and we have a very okay. special guest who was already uh, an interview guest of ours a few months ago. But then we were talking about him as an artist, Jay Gambit. Jay, thanks for being on the show. Good morning. It's eight in the morning here in Philadelphia, and I was uh, I was thinking this was going to be transcribed, <laughs> so I'm here uh, in bed. But sexy as always. Uh, oh, thank you very much. I just pointing out that I wasn't intending to show up in a robe. Yeah, yeah, that's what you say now. And indirectly, this is your way of attracting more listeners. Yeah, this is this is my Pete Steele <laughs> moment. At the end of the video, uh, I show you a <laughs> digital watch. <laughs> so today we want to talk about his his second album with Executioner's Mask. It's the second, right? Am I not wrong? Yeah, second full length. Okay. So, but first of all, I have to ask, what do you think about hibernation? Because your record is called Winter Long. So, um, would that I be think, something for you? Hibernating think, six months. I think uh, that was, there was a period of my life where I was um, very anxious and very, uh, very much in pain. And I ended up taking a lot of Xanax. And I would say that hibernation is to me, when I think about hibernation, I think about those periods where I was just mm -hmm. going to sleep for as long as I possibly could, because I was thinking, well, sleep is cheaper and easier than being awake. Sometimes, it, in some ways, it definitely is. I mean, like, there, there is something to that, and I still believe that Xanax is the modern opium, right? Oh, opium is the modern... I mean, Oxycontin and, and, and fentanyl, and those, I would believe, heroin is, is the modern opium. Z but Xanax is... Xanax is the modern Xanax. And I, I'm not... It doesn't work for me. It works. It's one of those things that works far too well, and I just end up blacking out, and mm -hmm. uh, it's just not. It doesn't work with my system. But um, you know, I've I've learned that. But yeah, that when I think about hibernation, I think about a really terrible period in my life where mm -hmm. I was uh, prescribed, over-prescribed uh, Xanax, and I just slept for months over prescribed that means they they prescribed you and dosaged you higher than it should have been yes yes they well they started me on three milligrams and they ended you on I, it almost ended me <laughs> so uh yeah that that would be it, it, at the point that they after starting someone on three milligrams of Xanax, I can't remember anything, let alone how much they prescribed me oh at the God, end. Yes. Oh, my God. So let's talk about something much more positive. Let's talk Thank about you. the new album by Executioner's Mask. Having had the pleasure of already listening to it several times by now, I must say it's a really, first of all, crafts-wise, a really well-made record. Thank and you. Music-wise, it's also a really good record because it transported me to a place and time where I didn't even listen to that kind of music. So that is awesome. But first we have to ask, like, Executioner's Mask. I, I haven't found a real explanation for the name online. So who came up with that band name? Because, band name, because I think it has a somewhat 
ambitious twang to it. There are like multiple layers to the name. It, it, it is as simple as, hey, what would be some cool band names? Oh, Executioner's Mask. Oh, I, I bet somebody's taken that. Nobody's taken Executioner's Mask? <laughs> Shit, now I gotta start a band. <laughs> and it's also interesting, on the first record, we see something like, like a human face, right? And on this one, you don't. Is there, like, a reason for that? Like, um, cover-wise? No, no. I, um... I saw... Uh, Augustine's work mm -hmm. and I really really liked it and they were kind enough to license it to me and that that was the first record I saw it, it finding covers is really about finding what aesthetically and kind of energetically works with the music it's it's less um, it's less of an explicit um, explicit interpretation of anything as much as it is like for example um pink floyd and yes because yeah. i'm i'm just still a corny basic you know like dad at, at its core I, I mean thinking of like your dad rock but that that really was what it was for me you know billion dollar babies billion dollar babies like that's a very explicit album cover mm. being a big green like snakeskin wallet with a gold yeah. coin on it but at the same time it fit the music so well that kind of slick yet slimy you know very very much like glamorous yet almost like borderline forbidden kind of uh like that, that kind of forbidden opulence, all of that was wrapped up in that packaging. Um, on top of kind of a semi-literal translation. And I think mm. those are the most successful album covers. Again, like the Roger Dean Yes stuff. We're yeah. close to the Unforgettable, end. right? You see those covers and you will always remember them. Yeah, and I, I mean like something as simple as the Close to the Edge cover, which yeah. is literally just that beautiful gradient and really succinct Roger Dean typography. That, like, close to the edge, how much more could you get in terms of, of just, yeah, it's minimalism, but it says so much. Um, so to me, like, something like close to the edge was a, that, that cover was very influential on the, decision to do winter long um mm -hmm. and the winter long art as it is which i really like but you know it's also very very different i think in a way um in general how did you come up with the album name itself winter long um that's i mean like i all i automatically fall of hibernation but i guess there is more to it right well so the album winter the, the album title winter long really is it's tied to a period of my life where i spent a shitload of time listening to the tonight's the night acetate bootleg which was the it's it's the neil young's album that was turned into the the record labels and the record labels said way way too dark you can't release this 
Um, it was a the acetate version is floating around as a bootleg, and that was kind of chopped up for um, on the beach and a couple of other things. And, and eventually, the song "Winterlong" came out on the Decade compilation, um, and it was covered by Pixies. But I I have such a relationship with <clears throat> the Tonight's the Night bootleg. Mm-hmm. And and I, I guess there was always such a significance to me after the you know, after the record stopped spinning to those those lines, you know, I've waited for you winter long. Uh yeah. you know, that that whole phrase um and i guess to me it was very much a starting point of what does that mean to me you know it's all the all it's all illusion anyway you know all that and letting that it's all illusion anyway kind of echo out into infinity and see what bounces back Mm. and you know what is what is the illusion and you know what is that longing, you know, the, the the waiting for waiting for an illusion? Um and and I think that, that that is what hope is. It's the mm-hmm. eternal wait for some sort of, you know, next thing. Yeah, and it's always like um I should say it's it's like you wait for something and at some point, I think there is also that moment when you don't even know what you're waiting for anymore, right? Exactly, yeah. Uh, that's, that's, to me, that was the whole thing of, uh, that, that's the reason it's called Winter Long. Is that also a reason why some of the songs, especially the last track, um, why those, why, why there are some of those really longing vocals where you feel as if you are addressing someone or something of which you don't even know what it is i mean i appreciate that interpretation i i don't try and read too much into that as much as it is the the track was more (coughs) kind of (coughs) sorry very much an epilogue Mm -hmm. you know it yeah the record, the record to me, ends the track prior. You know, it, it but there's it, there's that. It, it, it's almost meant to be kind of like echoing back to that first, that first lines and things fall apart. It, smoke mm-hmm. fills the room. You're not there. I'm not there. Yeah. And, you know, and that that then to kind of log <coughs> of like three a.m. It's over. You know, you're looking at, you're looking at all of the messes. You're looking mm-hmm. at all of the, you know, you're you're waking up and you're like, oh shit, you know. And I, if you've ever like woken up on the floor of a house party, you know, at like seven in the morning, and you're like, oh fuck, is this my house? I hope this is not my house, because <laughs> um, this looks like shit. Uh, it's like, oh, do I know whose house this is? Am I going to have to help them clean this house? Um, you know, what am I responsible for? Mm. That, to me, was 
you know, the transition, I guess, from that being like, you know, 17, 18 year old kid waking up on house party floors <laughs> to kind of being 30 in, in like a shitty studio apartment you can't afford, drinking like bumpy face gin, just trying to like drink to feel like, okay, there's, there's a way to get through the, this day. It'll make the time go by a little bit faster. And then, you, you know, it'll help me kind of get through whatever I'm going through. And then you wake up and you're still on the floor and you still feel like shit. And you realize you're still waking up on the floor of some house that's trashed, except that now it's your own and it's not a party. It's just you. Is that, that also somewhat of this like Groundhog Day thing? You know, it keeps repeating and repeating and repeating and you don't find a way out? Yeah. Well, that's, that's, it's life. <laughs> Patterns of behavior. For um, all our listeners and viewers, if you wake up a whole week long on several house party floors, then I think you should find somebody. <clears throat> buy a record. <laughs> You'll have something buy to execution. That is definitely buy executioner's mask, which is something that more people should do. Um, in a few days, it will be out, so don't worry. Next week, Friday. Um, when we talk about the record, <clears throat> Jay, how must we envision the writing process for the record? Because I guess I guess that this is one of those records which was started during the pandemic, right? Um, it, it was started during the pandemic, but the sketches for the songs started even before. Um, Christian and I have been friends forever. They helped out with uh, some of the writing on three. Uh, the Crowhurst record and we have a project together called The Crinkles with Josh from Suffering Hour and uh, Lake from Pig Destroyer and we're just we've been waiting like two and a half years to just finally get bass tracks recorded and get it the fuck out there um, but every time it like comes close something great happens for hmm. one of the band members and it's like there, everybody is involved, at least everybody else involved with things that are far more important than some bullshit cross-punk project. Um, but like, you know, Christian and I have uh, been working on songs forever and some of the songs on the record, the very skeletons of them just come from things that Christian's written for, you know, various different ideas that I've, I've sprung out there. Um, and then others are very much direct responses to things that happened during the pandemic. Um, you know, I had spinal surgery and things like that. So it was, there was a lot of life changes for me. And that those tonal shifts in life really reflected in the music. By the way, giving it a bad, bad joke, I guess that spinal problems were from waking up on those party house <laughs> floors all the time. But yeah, <laughs> on, honest question, did everything go right with your surgery? Everything fine now again? There's nothing. There's no, but it's it's life. You gotta you gotta just roll with the punches. I okay. uh, uh, there's a they removed a like 13 millimeter mass from my spine, and the problem is. 
there was there is now a, basically like a 13 millimeter kind of oh. uh yeah pretty for for what it's worth for the discs to now slip into so you know so no more stage diving for jay yeah you know what if i ever go back to leeds university i will not be able to repeat what i did at damnation festival which i'm sure the i'm sure the people who are like at the front will be very happy because the guards were like why 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 do you have to be that guy there's always one at every festival and it's you this time but uh, i got a good news for you damnation festival moved to manchester oh wonderful <laughs> um so you you work as a trio a quartet how must we envision that because i found different info on the web so is executioner's mask now four guys or three guys and it, do you live close together so that you can work also together or is it far distance online sharing um i have i don't think i've been in a band where everybody's lived in the same city <laughs> for ages it's just like it's not for some reason the internet makes it really hard because i'm just like well why don't we throw so and so in there they're really talented and it's like yeah but they live in milwaukee um like i don't know make it work we've got we've got the, the tubes that send data send it through the data tubes um so i don't know like now because the project has kind of grown out to a live band what we, the lineup for the studio in Winterlong is no longer the lineup now because okay by the time we're done writing a record we want to write more shit and we're working on new configurations so Craig who is our amazing guitarist who's like kind of their sound is the cornerstone of, of Executioner's Mask they are an incredible band leader and they've assembled kind of a dream team for a live touring band mm -hmm. um and like tony from thunder tank is in the project it's it's just like a really great mix um daniel from monochrome lover plays guitar um so as it stands like we can tour on that and play what we played in the studio effectively because what we do in the studio is it can't be replicated live by the mm -hmm. people who do it in the studio we just do too much shit um like christian does more than they could do live so and you know that it's easier this way to just play it live as a six piece but okay as you as you fall in love with your six piece band then you want to like write as a six piece which means that you know we're gonna have a very different record than winter long for our next record which is wonderful but it will still include christian right yeah that's what i mean it's like yeah. we'll have christians this is a member of the six piece live band yeah it, it, that's what i'm saying is like you know now it's it's not just dudes in the studio it's the dudes in the studio plus our live members mm. um who are now going to become dudes in the studio as well 
Don't be careful not to write music for eight people the next time. At that point, at that point, I'm gonna need some sort of like federal federal grant to keep making music. <laughs> Probably. Um, you just finished touring, right? You just did the first leg of the American tour, right? How was it? Oh, we loved it. We uh, we loved it. I haven't been on tour since since those Damnation shows. It was like Damnation and uh, playing with uh, Dragon of Sunlight on the what's it called? They did some Terminal Aggressor 2. It was Terminal yeah. Aggressor 2 live. So um, I did the noise parts that I did on the record live. And, and then World went. Mm. Um, yeah. So uh, I hadn't been on stage. And I mean, this project wasn't a live band when the world shut down. So I was not expecting to be on stage for a long time. So this was just... A total thrill and i got to be got to be joined by expander who are as wonderful people as they are musicians which is saying something considering that they're so fucking good at what they do you know so i, I mean i couldn't be more happy with how that turned out okay and you will have some more live shows in july i think right yeah we're going on the road with a uh, wake for like two shows in Canada, they invited us to play their record release show. And I was like, yes. And then we got offered a position, like a date at Vitus, mm -hmm. the same day for our release show. So I had to be like, I'm so sorry. They're, they're like, we have to do our own release show. <laughs> um, but we'll meet you in Canada the next day. I was like, I hope I would never cancel unless it was a good reason. Except that this one was we got to we got to do our own, um, <clears throat> which they were totally sure. So and for they, all those um, people in the U.S. and Canada, look out for those shows, right? So yeah, I can I imagine. Uh, also with Wake, a very good package, I think, in a way. I they're they're incredibly powerful and, and great musicians, and I think that putting us back to back is going to be the type of bill that. I don't know. I, to me, the the merit of being still on a metal label instead of a post punk label, or uh, I mean, and and to be fair, pigeonholing profound lords like a metal label seems unfair. An extreme music yeah. label instead of an indie label or or something like that. It's it allows us to kind of play with that diversity a little bit more than I think we would have. Uh, we would have the comfort to do if we were just working within the indie rock spectrum. Yeah. Um, so I, I am not always a big fan of seeing two of the same type of band live. And it, that, that works totally to my detriment because it's like you get, you catch more of an audience if you just curate a show. Definitely. With, a, a number of bands that sound similar who are yeah, really yeah. good at what they do and then that, that there's total merit to that but it, i would rather a lineup be a whitman sampler of uh different really cool ideas um so this kind of allows us to go okay we're going to be the post-punk band who gets to play with like 
you know, a grindcore band or a death metal band or, or like some sludge stuff. Um, and then, you know, at the same time, we can then slide back into like a post-punk tour or, or a shoegaze tour. I think that is also reflected in some way when I look at the collaborations that you have on this record. I mean, you have Jake Supersi from um, Uada and Ceremonial Castings, right? And yes. Kennedy Ashlyn from Seascrew. So I, I can understand that. So is it also something that you wanted for the record to have collaborations with people who are not your typical proto-punk or post-punk folks? I mean, I didn't think too far into some of that where it was mm -hmm. like, I love Jake. They're one of the kindest, sweetest people. And um, they reached out after Despair Anthems came out and were just mm -hmm. very kind and complimentary and uh, encouraging. And it was, it was very much out of the blue and I wouldn't, I was just taken aback as somebody who appreciates what they do. So, so honestly, like when it came time to work on Winterlong, there was a place on this record where there was a solo, and it was that solo. And I was like, you know, this this would be so wonderful if we had Jake do it. Mm -hmm. I bet. They were enough. Um, the I reached out and they said, "Yeah, I'll do it," which blew my mind. Oh, I just got a message that said my internet connection's unstable. Oh no! Um, and then with Kennedy, um, I really don't know Kennedy very well, so this was a, a situation where, on the last remix rec record, we worked with some Ember. Mm -hmm. And I mentioned to them that I was a big fan of Kennedy's and uh, their voice specifically was uh, an instrument I felt like would be very beneficial mm -hmm. on this record specifically Definitely. because, yeah, I, I, I have, uh, my voice is kind of deep and, uh, kind of very direct and Kennedy has this wonderful ethereal quality to, to their voice and I think it it really translates um, when they're blend blended together kind of like a peanut butter and jelly kind of thing um, good you know good comparison yeah that, that was that was what I was looking for particularly with you know, with the the way those two tracks are placed of kind of the the voice the siren calling you into the sea in in kind of the siren that tells you to keep going when you're almost out of out of you know out of hope out of a reason to keep going and you're like if i don't see some fucking light in the tunnel soon i'm going to turn around um, and then you just, you see it again, you hear it again. That, that to me was, I was like, that, that's Kennedy's voice in this, in the context of this record. Okay. Very interesting point. Um, so 
What also strikes me is that I already mentioned it to you before. Um, I think the record holds somewhat of a positively seen, very 80s slash 90s vibe. The first thing that I really had in my mind was Nine Inch Nails. Don't ask me why, but it was. It sounded as if it was like the middle between Pretty Hate Machine and the Downward Spiral. First of all, would, before I explain, would you take that as a compliment or would you say like, ah, old fuckers? No, no, no. I, I, I think um, specifically that... <clears throat> that era of Trent Reznor's career as a producer was kind of almost foreshadowing uh, to the kind of stuff, the, the compositions that they do today and that they've won Academy Awards for and stuff. I'm, I'm a composer myself and I'm working, right now I'm actually working on a movie that was directed by Robbie from the band Heavy Heavy Lolo. So that's mm -hmm. a whole different thing and I, I, I scored a, a film with Picture Plane, who we're doing the record release show with, um, and as well as Tanya from Bismuth and uh, Dwid from from Integrity. Um, so it was, uh, you know, composing film scores and making weird, noisy music. I think uh, Trent Reznor, and probably, if not consciously, then definitely subconsciously influenced that kind of um, that kind of attention to making a record an experience that that comes with all those early Nine Inch Nails albums. Um, the Fragile and you know I my favorite Nine Inch Nails album now is very different than from my favorite Nine Inch Nails album like as a kid. Now it's year zero. Okay. Um, you know which is just it's this incredible concept record that's super, super deep, but it's also just like weird, almost non-nine-inch non nailsy, like like dance aggressive dance bangers. Um, it, I I love it because it's just as it's just as cryptic as the fragile without being nearly as overt. Um, so. Yeah, I, I take it as a compliment. Cool. Um, <clears throat> and now to explain it. Um, to me, Nine Inch Nails was always more than that surface level where you have like slogans like, I want to fuck you, like, you know what I mean? Um, to me, it was always a lot more. And there is something else or there is something that is also to Executioner's Mask. It's more than the post-punk on the level. It's both bands have a lot of industrial, a lot of shoegaze, a lot of post-punk. Um, are those things like those genres? Was that like? I guess it was not intentional that you said let's make music like this, but is that something that the band members can agree on, like shoegaze, industrial, um, <clears throat> post-punk? Yeah, I mean, I don't know, I don't know what I can't speak for anybody else in the band beyond saying that we all kind of really enjoy what we're playing. Mm -hmm. I think that that's at its core. And that was proven on, on this tour of like the, the folks who participated in the writing, the folks who didn't doesn't really matter. Um, there's kind of a kinship in playing 
music that's heavy and melodic and emotionally resonant. And I think beyond the power, the singular power that drives all those genres and, and what's good in all those genres, because I think really the core of all the genres you mentioned, post-punk, industrial, it, it's, it's about an emotional heaviness. You know, I, I'm working in noise and metal. There is a real, there's a real emphasis in certain elements on um, aesthetics and there's an element on aggression. And I think in post-punk, the element is really on being emotionally and sonically resonant. And I think that that is always where the core of my music has been, has, has kind of been centered around being emotionally and tonally resonant because i'm not i'm not a big tough dude i don't i don't like you know i love pro fighting and stuff and i watch lots of boxing but like i it's just had spinal surgery like I'm, I'm i'm not fighting anyone i i, I live in philly but like yeah if, if somebody wanted to take me down I'm going down um you know, cer certainly not Tyson in my prime, um, but that that's fine. You know, I think post-punk is about just kind of getting across different, something different. So I think everybody in the band has that joy in playing something that's uh, emotionally and sonically powerful. So when we all walk off stage, we feel that the, both the joy of playing and the catharsis of playing. I also think that <clears throat> something that reflects in post-punk and also reflects in your music is a certain level of darkness. My little daughter just an hour ago came in and she's like, he sounds like from the grave. And I was like, yeah, that's his voice. And she was like, why is he so scary? And I was like, that's what he <laughs> sounds like. And then I just told her, okay, honey, here's my phone. Go downstairs. And I gave her um, Closer from the Joy Division to listen to. And she's still down there and listening oh. to it because I know that because she just sent me a text like, daddy, it's scary, but I like it. Um, that's That's awesome. And, and awesome. I think that, that level awesome. of that darkness, but not, it doesn't drive you mad. It's just dark for your own sake. As you just said, catharsis, your own catharsis. Um, but it doesn't overwhelm you. And I think that is something that a lot of post-punk bands had and still have. And also that's something that Executioner's Mask does really, really well. Thank and you. now my it's funny to me that... you go oh go ahead i didn't mean it no 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 you go first oh i was just gonna say yeah it's funny that you your daughter was listening to executioner's mask and being like this is scary because it's like the for the first time i felt like i was making music like 
It's not like the Northern Tongues collab. I'm not trying to give people fucking nightmares. It's like she's here's nine. me making an album that I I know I'm, I know it's just I just and I'm not blaming her. It's just no. one of those things where perception is everything. Because Definitely. from my perception, I'm like, here's me trying to do my best, like Robert Smith making Disintegration, this kind of like really deep romantic record. And, you know, it's that's just all in your head when you're an artist and you're just yeah. like trying to be like, yeah, man, people are going to see this. And then at its most visceral level, you know, you a meal is nothing more than the ingredients put on the plate, you know, and that's, it, you can, you can take it as a, as a symphony or you can take it as it is, but either way, you're not wrong. Um, it, you know, <laughs> so it's like, you know, but the chef is never looking at the, 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 the meal and being like, oh yeah, well, this is just a, a collection of ingredients. You know, well, that's what it is on the menu. <laughs> they can't, they, you know, on the menu, that's exactly what the fuck it is. Definitely. So you just mentioned the cure and I want to that, that struck something in my head. Um, something that I liked about the cure is that at some point you could still dance to the stuff. In weird ways, in bad shapes, but you could dance to it. And I would also say one can dance to to winter long. Is that, as you said, like something that you wanted people to be able to do? Oh yeah. So um, there's a big reckoning with me that in my mind about playing revival music. Um, coming from a place where I was ten years of trying to make super forward-thinking music. And like trying to be a real artist about it, and and you know no don't 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 you you know think forward think forward don't try and rehash and then you know make a really fun record with your friends where you're just you know I wasn't trying to make super duper revivaly stuff as much as it was you know a love letter to yeah. the music that I was listening yeah. to and ha and yeah. do listen to at the time which happens to be of a certain era in a, in the in a you know at least a, a bulk of it. Um, so coming from that and getting a really positive response from taking that direction, it was, it was almost like reverse engineering where I wanted to come at winter long by really elements from that, that I enjoyed and that other people while kind of, drifting away from the elements that I felt would be redundant to revisit. Um, and one of the things that kept popping up was that the songs I loved on Despair Anthems, they're, they're like, they're toe tappers. You know, No Funeral isn't, um, isn't the most technically complex song. <laughs> It's not a, you know, The, the drums are not like the drums on Contempt or any of the kind of more kind of wacky stuff we did on Winterlong. But, it, you know, they're just, there's, there's that hooks to it that 
would make those songs just as danceable as they are listenable on a, on a turntable alone. So I, I think that that was an element that was really important to retain in winter long. But I think that just, just as like I pointed out, like, it, you know, subconsciously I felt like the need to be like, yeah, well, they, the new ones have different stuff in them. And I think that that was really it. It was like, okay, cool. We got our bedrock now, which is like everybody in the band, you know, is super talented in, you know, we're able to come up with these, or, or those dudes are able to come up with these incredible, you know, melodies and stuff. So it's like, it's like, okay, now where's the seasoning? And the seasoning is all that other shit that makes up winter long, you know, the wacky time signatures and the interesting tonal shifts and Kennedy and, and Jake, and, you know, three full albums of remixes. <laughs> that, that is something in what you just said that reminds me, you know, I've, I've always also, <clears throat> when listening to your record, I also tried to place it somewhere within your vast oeuvre because it's huge and lots of stuff to take in. And I found something that I think is a connection to a lot of the other stuff that you did and that you did on, or that was done on Winterlong. On Winterlong, you have those, as you said, wacky time signatures. You have that driving post-punk bass, which is, of course, necessary to make people dance. And then in between, there are always like harsh noises or shrill elements that we also hear in some of your other stuff, in Crowhurst, in other collaborations. Um, is that something that is just simply Jay? Yeah. Yeah. Um... So, thinking about it now, it's a really kind of, I guess, a reflection of a general brain fog that I have. Um, the noise, the ever-present noise, um, and when just like, you know, falling asleep to a television, keeping on minimalist compositions in the background when you're alone, having a street near your house so you can hear people and be reminded of humanity. There's the absence of that. That is, to me, the absence of noise. So mm -hmm. that having these big textural waves, I, I wouldn't, I don't necessarily have it as noise because everything is noise. Yep. Um, noise your is, own breath is already noise. Yeah, noise is sound and sound is noise. So noise sort of becomes a reductive term after a point. But I would say that having big textural washes is just kind of I don't know how I'm not I'm not a I'm not a technical musician. So, you know, I, I know guitarists who have a signature sound and I know drummers who have a signature way of playing and I I don't think, I mean, my voice is my voice. I only have the range I could do, but I, I think the, you know, I, I, I'm only so in control of what my voice is, mm -hmm. but I think the, what is conscious that I would say is the thing that I focus on that would be my instrument is that tech is, is the, 
the placement of those textures and those sounds and not necessarily even always what's going on in between the, the songs, which is very explicit, but what's going on during the songs that you're not really consciously paying attention to is making, you know, making sure the things fill out sonically um, in a bright way. Mm-hmm. We just have a few more <clears throat> questions. We already heard Executioner's Mask is already writing new stuff. We have some remix albums coming up, which will be very interesting. One of them is going to be a bonus disc on Winterlong, right? Yeah, yeah. Everybody ordered the CD is yeah. going to get the first remix album. and uh, It's got remixes from members of Shushu, Death Heaven, Full of Hell, The Arms. I mean, this was... Good list. It's, it, it is a list of incredible people. And then, you know, it's like you would think that volume two would be like, okay, here are the people that weren't like, weren't good, good enough for the first. To or go something. on number one. Yeah, yeah. 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 But then you like, you look at number two and it's like members of Ramla, um, Street Sex, um, No Joy, like, we, everything is so there's so much good shit like the third one has like Kazumoto Endo and Goddess War and it's like a really you know the true As head said, the true head music you know what I mean like <laughs> which will make your head spin yeah exactly um, but you know it's like the community really the community really came out for this one, and, and having make it, having made a lot of records before, where the the LP itself is the the record that everybody works on, coming out on the back end and saying, "All right, the LP is done. This is you know what the band's vision, and let's mm-hmm. see what the how, what the community kind of Makes interpretation of what the band's vision." is as opposed to inviting the community to become the band. It's a different perspective, but it's um, it's equally fulfilling and it's fun to, it's just fun because it, it strips, the, strips the politics out of uh, the community. It's the most direct, you know, you don't need to deal with record labels. There's no, there's no, oh, well, will this sell tickets? goes first how would we you know it's how will we get from point a to point b will we get transportation for all the members you know well the piccolo player of this band and clearly we're playing with a lot of bands with fucking piccolo players but um yeah exactly every band has that's the type (laughs) of band we are um but yeah i mean like you know this is it's a it's a really direct way to link up with the people that you musically admire and they you know it, it's it's a joy to be able to call some of these folks peers um so it's like you know it, it's it's great that's what that's what it's all about to me you know that's what community is all about is is in and that's what the joy of this whole internet thing is about tying back into that first question of uh having people in the same room together. It's like, mm. 
yeah, I could I could deal with the limitations of five dollar and twenty five cent gas, you know, or I, or I can use them data tubes. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> so let's come to our infamous quickfire questions, which Jay, of course, has no idea what I'm going to ask him. You get two alternatives and you have to choose. Maybe okay. give a short explanation, but otherwise, let's just go go for it. Bauhaus versus Joy Division. Joy Division. Gotta, Pink gotta... Floyd. Yeah, you first. Oh, I was going to say, gotta, you've got to love the bootlegs. <laughs> Pink Floyd versus Yes. Floyd. Floyd. Studio 54 versus G CBGBs. I know both don't exist anymore, but if you could have chosen one back in the day, in oh. the 80s, which if... one would you have chosen? Studio Chose 54 one. or CBGBs? Um, Studio 54, I feel like the drugs Ooh. were funny. And I, I mean, I went, my dad did the merchandising for CBGBs. I, I learned all about Hilly's Chili as a kid. My mom went to Studio 54 in the 70s. I learned all about the Coke at Studio 54 and the, and the fucking rooms and all that. I'm going to choose the one with the, lots of sex and drugs as opposed yeah. to the one where I can, you know, I, I would feel like I'd have to play. <laughs> yeah, and I also cannot imagine having sex in the toilet at CBGB's. No, no. If you're no fucking, I, I can't even imagine. That is, that's, that would be too punk for me. That's where, that's too punk. <laughs> Integrity <that> <laughs> versus ringworm. Ooh. Um... Integrity, because members of Ringworm play in integrity sometimes, so it's mm -hmm. kind of like saying both. For the film buff, The Matrix versus Fight Club. The Matrix. The Matrix, mm -hmm. of course. Closer or Head Like a Hole? Closer, because of the story behind it. The Pixies versus Sunny Day Real Estate. Oh, Pixies. Pixies. The Pixies. That didn't even take... That's right. Hand on buzzer. <laughs> For your next vacation, the seaside or the mountains? Uh, the seaside. I like seafood. And now to some a little bit offbeat. Uh, For partying, ACDC or Van Halen? Van Halen, might as well jump, baby. <laughs> well, that's a typically American answer. Uh, and, now for, and now for the Philly hat, the wire or cold case? Oh, wire. The wire. So, Jay, thanks for taking your time. And for everybody else out there, Friday 17th, go and listen to Winter Long by Thank Executioner's Mask. Thank you so much for having us. This is for me. Fuck it, man. Thank you so much for having me. This has been awesome. <laughs> and uh, there's no way I'd rather spend my morning. So, and now you can also untie the bathrobe when we're done. <laughs> I'm going to show you my sweet digital watch. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. All right. I'll catch you later.